All right, school is in session. So take your seats and turn up the volume. volume. It's time for the smartest fishing show on the internet. This is the show that dives into everything fishing from tactics and gear to policy and product. Here he is, the fishing professor, Professor Sid Dobrin. So stick around, you might learn something. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, cinco, seis. Welcome to the Inventive Fishing Fishing Professor Rodcast. I am Sid Dobrin, the Fishing Professor, and I am all juiced up for this week's show because this week's show is going to flat out rock because we have got the remedy today and everything is fine again because we have got Dale Stewart, basis for Seether, that headbanging, hard rock, and award-winning power rock band. And I got to tell you, I just saw them perform a few weeks ago at Welcome to Rockville, and this band continues to flat out rock. And we've got Dale Stewart in the inshore, offshore digital studio to talk fishing and music. And after we get our metal on and figure out the difference between bass and bass, I'm going to give you the lowdown on my top 10 topwater lures for targeting redfish. Yeah, that's right. We're going to add some drum to go along with Dale's bass. And somewhere in there, we'll take a well-deserved bourbon break and belt out a few stanzas about Bob Dylan's Heaven's Door double barrel whiskey, because after all, like us anglers, Dylan is certainly tangled up in the deep blue. So yeah, this is a musically induced episode of the Fishing Professor Rodcast. And as always, if you want to sing me your song, always feel free to email me at sid at inventivefishing.com or use the comment option on any of the platforms through which you have accessed the Rodcast. I'm always eager to hear from you, even if you are out of tune. Of course, if you like the show, help us keep it in the charts and kicking out the hits by sharing our links with everyone you know. And with that, here's a little number I like to call the Rodcast. All right, we are going heavy in the inshore offshore digital studio today. We have got one of the all-time greatest bassists from one of the heaviest rocking bands of the last quarter century. That's right. We've got Dale Stewart of Seether on the Rodcast today. Seether, of course, is that heavy metal post-grunge alternative metal band out of South Africa that came roaring into the U.S. music scene in 2002 with their number one single, Fine Again, which was also included in the Madden NFL 2003 video game and the 1080-degree Avalanche video game. They've had massive number one hits with songs like Remedy, Fake It, Country Song Tonight, Words as Weapons, Let You Down, Dangerous, Bruised, and Bloodied, and Wasteland. Seether's music has appeared in the Punisher movies and the 2003 Ben Affleck Daredevil movie, though I'm not, now that I've said that out loud, sure that's actually an accolade, but uh, Seether are <laughs> one of the hardest rocking bands out there, and I gotta say I have been a fan since I heard uh, their first album, Disclaimer, way back when. Seether has had three platinum and two gold albums, 17 number one singles, 21 top five multi-format hits, single sales topping $17 million, and over 2 billion streams worldwide across all platforms. They've just released their career-spanning album, Vicennial, Two Decades of Seether, which includes all of their 17 number one singles. They are Billboard's number eight all-time mainstream rock artist. They are also the newest addition to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's popular Right Here, Right Now exhibit, joining the likes of Billie Eilish, Lady Gaga, Harry Styles, Alabama Shakes, Taylor Swift, The Lumineers, Casey Musgraves, and The Weeknd in that exhibit. 
to say that Seether are monsters of rock would be an understatement. Now, Dale Stewart has been a part of all of the Seether's success since the beginning as the second longest active member of the band behind lead vocalist and lead guitarist Sean Morgan. Dale is recognized as one of the best bassists in the music industry, and in 2012, the premier guitar company Schechter Guitar Research released the Dale Stewart Avenger bass, a beautiful all-black mahogany-bodied bass. But as much as I want to geek out and be a fanboy here and talk about Seether's music and Dale Stewart's bass thumping, this is the Fishing Professor Show, and we're here to talk fishing. And as it turns out, Dale is a lifelong angler who fished as a kid in South Africa and is now a fanatic inshore and offshore angler based out of Georgia. So we are thrilled to have Dale Stewart in the inshore offshore studio today. Dale, thanks so much for being on the Rodcast. Thanks for having me. That's uh, that's quite an introduction. Uh, I I feel a little uh, little unworthy, let's say. <laughs> oh no, man, no, man. You are you are a base god. We know that. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> but seriously, it's going to take some control on my behalf not to get all fanboy and just talk about Seether and music, but we're here to talk fishing. So let me start by asking you about your angler origin story. I've heard you say that you fished all your life and that that was inevitable with a dad like yours. Tell us about that angling origin for you. Yeah, well, uh, my dad is a extremely avid fisherman um, and I, I just kind of grew up around it. Um, every little family vacation we'd take was basically a fishing trip. Um, every weekend at the lake, you know, that we went to was basically a fishing trip. Um, and you know, everything from fly fishing up in the sort of more Northern part of South Africa, um, fly fishing for, you know, rainbow trout, brown trout, things like that. Um, and then, you know, more in more of the low country, you know, bass fishing, catfish, carp, stuff like that. And then saltwater, which was always, you know, kind of one of our favorites, you know, rock and surf, uh, saltwater fishing. Um, so it's just, it's just something, it was just natural, just something we always did. Um, my dad, you know, took it extremely seriously. Um, he was always writing articles for, you know, local fishing rags and, um, you know, wrote, uh, wrote one or two books over there about, um, you know, fishing on the South African scene. And, um, and when I was in high school, he even opened a fishing tackle uh, business. So that was great for me. And I'd, I'd go work there on weekends and um, after high school, just kind of work there full time. I was, you know, doing gigs on weekends. Um, but uh, yeah, during the week, I'd, I'd and you know, week weekend, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, be full time at the fishing shop. So it was kind of cool. My, my whole life was just fishing and music. It was uh, so can't complain about that. <laughs> I want to hear more about you working in your dad's tackle, tackle shop because I know you were did a lot of fly tying uh, for mm. other anglers. Can you tell us a little bit more about the fly tying you used to do in high school? Yeah, I, that's another one of the things, you know, I also just grew up doing. Uh, my dad always had a fly tying kit laying around the house and, you know, he'd tie flies and, okay, can you show me? And he'd teach me. Um, I'll never forget the first fly. I was little as well. The first fly he taught me to tie was a, a Mickey Finn. You know, that's a little streamer um, with a little, uh, like a little silver body. Um, and then it's got uh, yellow and red, um, you know, bucktail, a uh, little bucktail body. And then, you know, just tied off a little blackhead, whip finish it. Um, and just a great little trout fly. Um, and that that's what he first, 
taught me the Thai. And, um, you know, just from there, I, I just kind of, you know, developed a, a real sort of affinity for, for the fly tying. It's, it's almost like if you can't go flying, oh, well, just sit there and tie some flies. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh, the fish are going to smash this thing. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a way to kind of get away without getting away. And it's creative. You know, I've always kind of been a creative person. And um, I think fly tying ties into that because, you know, you get to create something. And, and I really started enjoying it once I started kind of coming up with my own ideas and my own patterns. Um, especially if you come up with an idea, oh, I think this will work and you tie it and then you go fish with it and you catch fish and it works well. That's so rewarding to, you know, to catch a trout on this fly that you dreamt up and it actually works well. Um, so, and then oftentimes I'd, you know, when I was then working at the shop, you know, guys would come in, Hey, well, you know, what are the trout biting on? I'm, you know, going up to Dolstrom or Belfast or, you know, they, these are some of the, the fishing areas we used to go to you know, for the fly fishing and be like, oh, I was just up there two weeks ago and, you know, they wouldn't leave this thing alone. Let me, I'll tie you six. And that's a then tie. And um, so it was, it was fun. It was, uh, I, I enjoyed the fly tying. I've, I've probably lost a lot of my chops as I, I didn't do it for years. Um, and just now I've, I've kind of put another little fly tying kit together. So I've started tying again, but, you know, more saltwater stuff, you know, yeah, living in Georgia, I do a lot more saltwater fishing. So. Excellent. I'm going to ask you about that in just a second too. Yeah. I've also just started getting back into tying as well. And I agree, nice. you know, that, that, that sense of creativity and that ability to just get lost in the tying is just fantastic. Have you done yeah, much yeah. trout fishing and fly fishing since you've been in the States? Not, not very much. No. Um, you know, I, when we moved to the States, uh, we originally moved briefly to New York city and then, we were only there for about a month or two and then we moved to LA because we were recording with a producer who lived in LA. Um, and once the album was done, I kind of didn't have anywhere to go. And I was just sort of couch surfing in LA and eventually met a girl out there and then did the kind of stereotypical musician, broke musician thing. Hey, can I, can I come stay with you? <laughs> so I stayed with my girlfriend and so I, I just kind of ended up in LA. Um, and then once the band started doing well, I bought a house out there and, I just kind of got entangled and, you know, living there and, and sort of making friends and everything. And, and there's, there's not much fishing in LA, you know, you can, I mean, you can go maybe up to like big bear Lake and it's not too far. Maybe go fly fish up there or, um, but you know, in and around LA, there's really not much. I, I try to surfish there a little bit and I just feel like that ocean is just, it's just kind of dead. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if maybe I just wasn't, you know, using the right techniques, but um, it's just, it's not a great fishing kind of play, at least, you know, sort of surf fishing, which I was trying. I'm, I'm sure if you had a boat and oh you could Catalina get off the island and yeah. Yeah. Like, I did go fishing at Catalina Island and, you know, that was great, you know, uh, caught some flounder and uh, bonito and, and stuff like that. Um, so they, they are fish in the water, but I, I think you need to get, get a little deeper than I than I used to, you know, try on the vacation. <laughs> so you've transferred your base of operation to Georgia and you've become somewhat of a fanatic inshore angler. What is it about inshore angling that attracts you? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really inshore and, and offshore. Um, you know, it's uh, inshore for those days when it's a little rough and you, and you, you know, you kind of don't want to get offshore. Um, so I, I really enjoy both sort of equally. 
Um, Inshore's fun because I, you know, I love using the artificials. You know, that that's always been, you know, one of my favorite things. So, you know, just throwing little paddle tails, little little Z-mans and, and gulp and stuff for like flounder and drum and uh, trout and, um, you know, whatever's biting basically. Uh, it's, it's just a fun way to fish. Um, during the winter now, you know, the, here in Savannah, we get the stripers that come, come down the river. Um, so we caught a couple stripers this season, you know, some, some nice fish um, and, you know, good eating fish as well. So, you know, those always don't, don't always make it back. <laughs> to the drink. Yeah, I heard you've got a reputation as a cook too. So I would assume that uh that wanting yeah. stripers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh yeah, the, the stripers are good. Uh I'm red drum, some of definitely some of my favorite fish. Trout, some I'd probably rather have a drum than a trout. And then flounder. I mean, flounder that might be the the best fish there is, you know. <laughs> I, I agree with you 100 percent Yeah, yeah. So Georgia has also got a reputation for a lot of uh, bass fishing. Do you know any bass fishing in Georgia? You know, I do a little bit, but nothing serious. I just, um, our house is on a lake and I fish a little bit in this lake. And I mean, I, it's called a lake. Technically it's a lake, but it's a, I think of it as a very large pond. It's, right. it's like a five acre pond, basically. It's, it's round and the fountain in the middle. And, but there's grass crop in there and, uh, a tight little dry fly which mimics i don't know a, a fish pellet or something and i catch the grass crop and the dry fly which is a lot of fun but um i catch largemouth too and, and uh, bluegill on little artificials it's actually funny i i went to uh dick sporting goods the other day and i was just looking at the tackle section and they had this tiny little rod it was like a little four foot six ultralight like micro spin little shakespeare and i thought you know that would be fun. And I'm like, oh, I just, I can catch a little bluegill, you know, these tiny little, like, uh, you know, little like curly tails and little, you know, swim baits and things, little spinners. I'll catch, you know, bluegill and little bass. It will be fun. So I get this little rod back and I actually loaded it with like 10 pound braid, you know, just in case, but I'm fishing around my little lake and I think, oh, let me just, you know, cast one down the bank and I cast down the bank and I hooked this fish. And actually I was, I, I wasn't holding the rod up. I was kind of pointing the rod to the fish because I, I wasn't setting the hook on the fish. So I had to point the rod at the fish, almost like a top and like set the hook, you know, on the reel and then kind of pick the rod up. So I set this hook and I picked the rod up and I feel, wow, that's kind of heavy. And this fish starts swimming to the side. And next thing I just see this thing come out of the water with this mouth just shaking these gills open and it's by far the biggest largemouth I've ever hooked in this tiny little lake on this tiny little rod It's bending out of my hand where, where the grip ends <laughs> on this tiny little reel. And I, I was in such disbelief. I, I could not believe what was happening. I'm like, there's no way. And then I'm thinking, I can't lose this fish. No one's going to believe me. No one's, <laughs> no one's going to believe the story. I have to land this thing. Eventually, I land this bass, and this thing was a month. Like, I mean, it must have been twelve pounds, twelve, maybe even even more. I don't know, but it was heavy, and she was, I think, it was a female sitting on a nest. But I mean, I could put both my fists in her mouth, and probably have room to wiggle around. You know, like I, I was trying to take a selfie. I, I couldn't fit the whole fish in the pic, like her tail cut off. 
Her head's like the size of my head. Like it's just this crazy picture. And I said to all my friends, but I just caught my little <laughs> man-made lake at the house. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, but yeah, so ironically, this tiny little lake we live on has, you know, gave me the best bass, you know, that I've ever caught. So oh, what a great story. Hey, so I recently saw you appear on the Low Country Fishing Show on YouTube, and I got to say, I really dig what they do on that show, and I want to support their efforts, but I got to say, I think that if I had Dale Stewart on that show, I'd show more Dale Stewart, but I get it. We, uh, we run into the same problems on our videos when you have a chest mount camera and a single rail mounted camera, and you're trying to do everything yourself. It's tough to film that way to get the shots you want. But I guess we could say that for that, you shifted from background vocals to background angler. Um, yeah. <laughs> <did> you, <laughs> tell us a little bit about filming with the Low Country Fishing Show and those incredible reds that you were catching. Yeah, yeah, you know, I don't mind being in the background, man. It's it's uh, it's all good. Um, and yeah, you know, Dan Dan's a very knowledgeable guy, and you know, has a great channel. It's, it's really you know taking off on Facebook. Um, very good friend of mine who I. Uh, you know, do most of my, you know, saltwater fishing with Matt. Um, we normally go out on his boat and, and um, do our thing. Um, he, I guess, somehow, I'm not sure him, him and Dan met, but um, he just said, oh, you know, I met this guy, does YouTube stuff. And I'd actually seen some of his videos. Um, and then Dan said, you know, look, I'd like to, you know, get together and we'll, we'll do something. And, you know, we, we fish from time to time. Um, you know, with Dan, you know, sometimes the fishing's not always great, you know, so, you know, but if, if we go out and there's a good video, you know, we'll, we'll put some content or he'll put some content out, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, he's a super guy. If, if anyone, you know, if you haven't heard of his channel, yeah, it's low country fishing. If you live in this part of the, the country, um, you know, sort of Northern Florida up into sort of South Carolina, um, you know, he's, he's very knowledgeable as to, you know, where these fish congregate, um, you know, how to find them, how to, you know, how to fish for them. Um, so yeah, it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good channel if you, if you want to learn, but it's just a kind of a fun thing. You know, I don't, I don't sort of take it too seriously, but, um, you know, him and Matt are kind of the, the serious sort of fishing guys, you know, like, um, very knowledgeable about the gear and the tackle and the, the, the technicalities of everything. And I'm just kind of the, Hey guys, I brought the beer, like, you know, and the sandwiches, you know, t tell me when you're hungry. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of my role, but, uh, it, it's fun, man. It's a uh, fun guys to fish with. So in your area, reds, trout, flounder, Spanish Kings, Cobia, what's your favorite to chase? You've said flounder is your favorite to eat, but what's your favorite to target for fishing? Yeah. Uh, you know, topping, we, we've had a lot of, uh, sort of headaches, you know, we've, we've only hooked two, you know, since, since Matt and I've been trying for them um, and we lost them both. And uh, I've heard that that's not too, too uncommon. So I think this summer we're going to, we're each going to get a, a top and we're going to make a point of that. Um, but, and I, I've heard that those are nothing like my dad says, he says, you get topping and then you get everything else. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, getting into a decent topping. But um, I really enjoy, you know, the cobia fishing. And again, another beautiful fish to eat. Um, but they just, they're so aggressive and they so, um, they fight so well too. Um, the one time we were out 
here in Savannah, they've got, you know, a couple sort of shallow reefs, maybe about seven miles out. Um, and, you know, Matt's just got a bay boat. So we normally don't go much further than that. Um, you know, it's for safety's sake. But we're, we're at one of the wrecks one day and it was kind of slow. We've got a couple of sheep's head and a couple of black drum and stuff, but nothing to write home about. And we said, ah, let's call it a day early and we'll head in. And we're going in and he kind of powered down and turned the boat. And I thought, you know, where's he going now? And I looked over and I just saw this big mass in the water. And I'm, I thought, is that like the hull of like a capsized boat or something? And I looked again. I'm like, no, is it a whale? I'm like, no, it's a manta ray. And there was this massive manta ray. And I mean, this thing's wingspan must have been 20 feet, 25 feet. Just this colossal animal. And um, Matt said, grab the, you know, grab the bucktail, grab the bucktail. I said, okay. And uh, I handed him the bucktail rod and I just sort of inched him forward. And he just pitched this bucktail under this manta ray. And this Kobe just crushed it. Like, nobody's business and they were just hanging under this manta as you know as they like to go and lie under stuff so we we landed that fish and as as you got that one to the boat there were two more that had kind of followed it and then i pitched a little paddle tail that i had on another rod and the bigger of those two crushed the paddle tail i had this fish on and you know i ended up losing that one but we saw the manta down there you know found the birds saw the manta went back to him uh, I want to say we hooked the third. I think Matt hooked the third one under there before we finally chased them away. But that was just one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. Just for one, just you know, seeing a manta ray in its natural state in its habitat, just gracefully and casually, just kind of flapping its wings, just cruising down. But then catching these cobia on these. I mean, they were whatever you threw in there they were just crushing and it was it was great and just to catch these fish and out under the the manta like that was it was cool man like it was it was one probably one of my favorite favorite fishing memories i'd say that's fantastic i love hearing yeah. that story so you just mentioned the tarpon and i've i've seen other places you've said you wanted to get your tarpon um given your fly fishing background have you considered tarpon on the fly yeah yeah i have you know i'd like to get one on conventional tackle first I think, you know, just to kind of cut my teeth a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'd love to get one on fly. Um, I'd probably have to beef up my, my tackle a little bit. Um, you know, what, what would you need for a top and probably like a 14 weight or something? At um, least an eight plus. You know, eight yeah. Eight. Yeah. yeah I, I, you know, when I do saltwater, I fish with, you know, like a 10 weight. Um, so, and then, you know, when I, when I drum, you know, when I fly fish for drum and trout, I use a six weight, which is basically like a, a still water trout rod, you know, and, and, but I, I kind of like to fish light, you know, I go out on my kayak, take the fly rod and, you know, catch drum and stuff like that. So maybe I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure some crazy guys landed a, a decent top and on a 10 weight before. So oh, absolutely. I'm sure it could be that, you know, it's just, it's just setting that hook, you know, that's what I hear is the, is that the hard part and in our experience too, it's the hard part is, you know, that, uh, that the thing's mouse like a steel bucket and you really got to, you know, do whatever you can to try and get that, to, that hook set, you know, I've got a buddy who's a guide down at Boca Grande. It's all he does is tarpon and, you know, he'll okay. guarantee you, but he'll tell you we're going to jump more than we're ever going to catch. So, yeah. yeah. 
So I get that these last couple of years have been really tough for touring acts with concert life really just now coming back to the industry. So I assume that like the rest of us, you've had a bit more time to fish during the pandemic, but I also imagine that touring can be exhausting and time consuming. And I hear that you carry a travel rod and reel while on tour and that you manage to fish while on tour from time to time. Tell us a bit about fishing while on tour. <laughs> well, that's always different, you know, which is kind of fun. Um, you know, it's, it's just touring. Uh, I think when people think of a band on the road, there's this kind of maybe romantic, you know, vision of what it's like, or maybe this Hollywood um, sort of induced idea of, oh, well, it's just, you know, partying and, and chicks and everything, you know. And I mean, we've had those times in our lives, you know. Don't when you, my uh, fantasy here, man. Don't, don't yeah, ruin no, it for I mean, me. <laughs> when, when you're young and you're chasing girls and, you know, you're partying, I mean, it, it, you know, it can be kind of wild, but we're all a bit older now. We all kind of have families. Um, my little girl is she's just three months now so um thank you yeah um so you know you have to kind of slow down at, at some point and um and you know backstage there's just there's a lot of downtime like before the show you just kind of sit around and kill time and you know maybe read a book maybe play video games or watch a movie or um and i i kind of get cabin fever i can't just sit around so i just take my little travel rod and I just pull up Google maps and I see, is there anything in walking distance? Like, I don't care if it's a pond, you know, I'll run the bathtub if I need to and drop a line in there. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it wherever. And, um, you know, maybe there's a little river nearby or, you know, a little pond or sometimes you're playing, you know, down on the coast and there's like a, a little fishing jetty or, you know, maybe like a little rock outcrop and you can go and fish there. So, um, so it's kind of fun, you know, it's kind of a mixture of, you know, sometimes you using little corn kernels to catch carp in a river in Michigan and other times you're down in Florida and, you know, you're catching, you know, little school, a little school of bluefish comes by and you're catching little bluefish and, and, um, you know, little baby jacks and stuff, you know, and there's, little uh boat canal in in florida so it's um it just you know just depends where you are and uh and what's around but um yeah i, I just have a very rudimentary little tackle box and my little travel rod and put it on my back and go for a walk and just kill a couple hours you know before showtime and it's kind of you know helps you keep your head on straight you and i have a very similar mindset about such things yeah um where have been some of the places that you've snuck away to get on the water that you've really that have been really memorable um we're done in Boca Raton uh recently and that was kind of fun um you know just yeah it's beautiful down there and um we were catching little uh little Jack Ravel little guys and little blue fish and what was those other those other fish I forget what they were called it, it almost looks like a like it's family of the Jack uh blue runner blue runner yeah yeah yeah, yeah I think, we I think use them for bait a lot runner. And we're catching those just in this, you know, this little canal. That was fun. Um, just a couple of places. Yeah. Just, um, I don't even remember half the places. That's the thing with touring. You, right. you know, every, all the places kind of bleed together. And at the end of the tour, you're like, Oh, we just did 
30 dates and 30 places and it's just a kaleidoscope of backstage and the show and these people and um you know this other band and then you know i snuck off and caught some some bluegill in this place and um so yeah it's kind of bleeds together that classic joke of good night cleveland we're in indianapolis yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) it happens happens. any of your bandmates ever go with you um no not, not bandmates but some of our crew guys uh we have a drum tech uh he, he's also done from florida um and he also i called him like dude you know you're working for us now he was kind of one of the newer guys but i said you know you're working for us now bring your travel rod um you know we're gonna do a little fishing um and then we, we have a, our ld our, our lighting director um who does all the lights and stage setup uh, he uh he likes to fish too. So it's kind of the, the three of us right now. Um, and then I, I just have a, a new guitar tech now as well for this next run. And he's also a Florida guy and also an avid fisherman. So I informed him too. I said, dude, bring your tackle. When we have, when we have a spare minute, we, you know, we go catch fish. And then when it's a couple of guys, it kind of becomes a competition, you know, so you, you sort of keep score and, you know, there's a lot of shit talking and, and the whole thing. So, but it, it makes it fun. You know, it's, it's, just the extra thing to kind of, you know, make touring less boring. You know? Let me ask a different kind of question. Uh, I mentioned to you before we started the show today that my son is a bassist who's going to be studying bass with the bass studio in the College of Music, University of Colorado in Boulder. So bass talk is pretty common in our house. So nice. I've always wondered if there's a connection an angler and a bassist like you make between your knowledge of bass strings and how you feel and work with fishing line. Wow. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're not out there strumming the 80 pound test. Strumming, while you're... <laughs> <laughs> strumming the, strumming the 80 pound braid. Um, I guess maybe there is cause you know, uh, you know, well, I, you know, I started out playing guitar as a kid before I moved to bass and, you know, on a guitar, you know, guitar strings, basically just like, it's basically just piano. I mean, you could, you could fish with that. You could go catch Jack, catch King Mackerel on your on your guitar string rig if you if you had to. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's probably very similar material, but I've I've never made that connection. This is why but, we got to uh, figure a way to get you a sponsorship for like a rod manufacturer or a line manufacturer to make yeah. the sales steward Avenger line of all black rods or something. Yeah, man, make, a, make it Avenger. <laughs> The intro spinning rod. That's right. Great. And I mean all black <laughs> in the color of the rod, not the New Zealand rugby team, which might tick off Springboks fan. I don't want to yeah. piss off your South Africa fan base here, but absolutely. You know, yeah. Yeah, we need the Dale Stewart fishing line and leader. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can't mess with rugby, man. South Africans yep. and New Zealanders alike. And you know, Australians too. It's there's a lot of rivalry, a lot of rivalry there, a lot of bad blood. So yeah, I don't yeah, want to piss Springbok right, fans like, off in South yeah. Africa. <laughs> so all right, let me ask you another basis question. So one of my other favorite bases is Les Claypool, who's also mm. a hardcore angler, mostly a sturgeon angler. Do you know him? And have you ever talked fishing with him? No, no, I've never met the guy. I'd love to, though. He just seems like the most interesting, eccentric, brilliant. I mean, he's, he's an unbelievable bass player. He's so sort of unorthodox. And, and I mean, Primus is such a weird band. I mean, the fact that a band like that can become as popular as they have um just kind of blows the mind because it's i mean the music's so out there like it's hard even for me as a musician i'm like half the stuff i'm like 
I'll never forget that. But then some of them like, that's really cool. But, you know, I'm nothing but respect for the guy, but um, I actually didn't realize that he was a fisherman. He's actually written a book uh, called South of the Pump House, which is a sort of a murder mystery, but it all takes place around sturgeon fishing in California. Yeah, I mean, okay. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to, let's, let's, let's play with Claypool for a second here. So, you know, Primus has recorded that four part fishing story called John the Fisherman, which is four yeah. different fishing songs on four different albums. And Claypool has said, quote, I like to write about things I know about so that I don't sound like a dipshit talking over my head. I fish. <laughs> Some dads take their kids to football games and baseball games. My dad took me fishing. So I got to say, Dale, I don't recall a fishing song in the Seether catalog. When are we going to get a Seether fishing song? I'm, I'm going to have to push Sean to write a fishing song. You know, he, Sean's responsible for the lyrics. So You could call it like sheep's head banging and have a red drum solo. Yeah. You know, uh, he, Sean's a, you know, not a avid fisherman, I would say, but, um, you know, I have taken him, uh, again, I forget where it was, but this one night after the show got done, um, the stage was right beside this little, this little river or lake river thing. And um, I said, hey, man, this, I've seen catfish in this thing. You know, I'm going to go get my rod. So we each made a drink and we got two little camping chairs and went and sat there and I got some honey baked ham out of the fridge that we had, that we got for making sandwiches. And I put some honey baked ham on a hook and we just sat there catching catfish. And he had the time of his life. He's catching these little catfish at night. Um, so it's, it's, it's in there somewhere. Also, um, when I got married a couple of years ago, um, him and some of the, you know, he was my best man, but some of the other groomsmen, you know, everyone came in into Savannah a little early and he booked a, like chartered a fishing trip. And we went out out of Hilton Head and, you know, caught some awesome drum, some nice big fat bulls. And, um, you know, he really seemed to enjoy that too. So, you know, maybe, maybe I can just pepper him with my, you know, with my, my influence and see if I can get him to write some fishing lyrics for me. <laughs> awesome. All right. I got a fanboy just a little bit. I got to ask you where the yeah. nickname Duke Dalington comes from. Oh, you know, that's a funny, it's fishing related as well. Um, so we used to sell these, or I'm sure they still sell them, or my dad and them still sell them, but um, it was this new rod brand we got in South Africa, Reddington. They were kind of the new, you know, the new kid on the block, or at least in South Africa they were. And they were famous for having this, you know, lifetime guarantee, you know, on these new Reddington fly rods. And everybody wanted a Reddington fly rod. And um, this customer had a four, I think it was a six weight, four piece, six weight Reddington. Um, and I, I'd wanted a nice four piece sort of travel rod for a while. And, but I, I didn't really have money for it. And this customer came and said, Oh, I broke my Reddington and turned it into us. So I called the, the local Reddington agent and it was basically just like the, um, like the, the the tip section had like broken off or just, or, or some, something very, you know, not detrimental to the rod itself had happened. And the agent came in and I said, Hey, here's the rod. It's broken. He said, Oh, we'll just replace it for him. I said, really? I mean, it's isn't really not much wrong with it. He said, okay, well, he said, just take a hacksaw and cut the, cut it off right at the butt for me, you know, just so that we're sure it's broken and you can't resell it kind of thing. So it was terrible. just cutting this, perfectly good rod 
he's like, cool. I'm like, what do I do with the knife? Just throw it away. I said, okay. And I kind of put it aside and uh, you know, I do a little bit of rod building as well, you know, nothing spectacular, but I can, you know, bind, you know, guides do rudimentary rod building. And I thought, Oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, put in a, you know, get a graphite spigot, you know, put it in the, in the handle, you know, reattach. I mean, there's not a lot of flex there. So I'll just reattach that and, you know, put a new, a new tip, you know, on the very tip and I'll have myself a four piece Reddington. So I did that and I built it and said, it wouldn't be so obvious. I, I took the, um, I took the, the Reddington badging or, or logo, whatever off. And I wrote Daylington <laughs> <You know? laughs> Reddington, you know, four piece, six weight, you know, nine foot. And then I did a little binding and I, I you know, I, I put, you know, clear coat over that and everything. And so now I had my Daylington and then the guys in the shop started calling me Daylington because now I'd built this Daylington rod. Um, and then two of my female friends like, why does everyone call you Daylington? And then they decided Duke Daylington had a better ring to it. And then people just started calling me Duke Dalington. And so it was like a whole thing. But then, yeah, I said Duke Dalington and just kind of became a Wellington ring to it. Yeah. But it came from me sneakily, you know, building this, this Reddington rod <laughs> or fixing this Reddington rod. What a great story. All right. I got one more fanboy question just because it's such a great story. Tell us the enema story. Who doesn't love a good enema story? Oh, enema story. Wow. Okay. So, we were touring this must have been 2004 and we're on tour with uh evanescence and uh breaking benjamin and my stomach just started really hurting we had a day off and it just started hurting i could tell you know something's probably wrong here and you know try to sleep that night but you know i just was so uncomfortable and the next morning was the day of the show uh i went to our tour manager and said, hey, you know, I'm really in a lot of pain and I think something's wrong. Now. I need to go to the to the ER. And he was a shock because, you know, I'm not one that really complains much. And he said, okay, so he, you know, we jumped in the, the, the runner for the venue, you know, took us to the ER, dropped us off. And um, the doctor's like, yeah, well, you know, what's the problem? I said, doc, I think my appendix is, you know, going bad. He's like, all right, well, to, to test it, we're going to give you this liquid that you have to drink, um, you know, which will illuminate, you know, your, your blood and your veins. Um, and then we're going to give you an IV or, you know, the, the, no, the, the one you drink will illuminate your stomach and your digestive tract or whatever. The one in your arm will illuminate your veins. And then we're going to give you an enema. And uh, I was like, wait, uh, uh, what? <laughs> not the words you want to hear. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh. okay. So, I drink the juice. They give me the IV and they're like, cool, ready for the enema. And I walk in, this is Cincinnati, Ohio. And I walk in and the sort of enema tech or whatever, you know, I don't know what you call. That's a hell um, of a career aspiration, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my robe, you know, with my ass hanging out. And I sit down, I'm like, all right, lie on your side. And, you know, you might feel a pinch. And he looks at me and he's like, are you the bass player for Seether? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yes, I am. He's like, dude, I'm a huge fan. I'm like, cool, cool, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, okay, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna feel. So he gives me this enema, and I'm just like, this is horrible, man. Like, and then I come out, and the doctor's like, yeah, your appendix. I'm like, I, I told you that when I walked in. Like, 
you didn't have to stick things inside me. So they took me in and they were super cool about it. Um, I came out of the, uh, you know, I came to and um, the Nethetus was like, hey, any chance of getting tickets for that Evanescence show tonight? And I said, yeah, any chance of getting some morphine? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. So I called up to him and I'm like, hey, put so-and-so on the list. <laughs> but they hit me up and then. And then I, I, I got them to let me leave that night. I said, look, man, I got to go. My, my bus is leaving at like 2 a.m. Um, I can't stay. I, you know, I'm going to have to fly to catch up, get a hotel. Like, I just, I got to leave. So they let me go that night. And I just, they made me a, a bed in the front lines of the tour bus. And I just lay there for a couple of days and, you know, recovered. And yeah, I've, I only missed about four shows. Evanescence and Breaking Benjamin's bass player, they each learned um you know a couple of the you know like five of the songs you know i think we're doing 10 songs so they they filled in and missed a couple of songs and oh, i missed a couple of shows and before long i was back out and show must go on yeah thanks for the enema story all right so the new <laughs> album i've been listening to vicennial non-stop for a few weeks now and it's got so much of that energy from disclaimer and not just because four of the tracks are from Disclaimer or on the album, but because it captures so much of that early raw power that was on Disclaimer. And I love having that energy pumped up with Remedy and Country Song, two of my faves. Plus, let's face it, the cover of Careless Whisper that originally appeared on Finding Beauty in Negative Spaces, that's flat out genius, right down to the retention of that hook riff. This is the only way I can condone a George Michael song <laughs> is this version. But tell us a bit about the new album and what it marks for Seether as a band. Yeah, you know, uh, Vicennial is, um, you know, the, the label kind of wanted to release the greatest hits. And we'd kind of done that in the past. And, you know, the more we'd sort of thought about it, it almost, it almost felt like when a band releases the greatest hits, it's like, hey, guys, we're done let's look back at our career and, you know, these are the hits kind of thing. And, and we, we don't feel like we're anywhere done, anywhere near done. I don't think, um, you know, we've got 20 plus years under the belt. I, I hope we've got at least 10 or 20 more. Um, so we wanted this to be more of just like kind of a celebration, like, Hey, it's 20 years of, of see there. And, and, you know, some of the, some of the hits or, you know, the, you know, songs that, you know, did well at radio and, um, so it's more just a, a celebration, you know, instead of a greatest hits. And, and I mean, we, we, we're just going to keep on, you know, um, we'll probably start working on new material again here in the sort of near, near future, um, you know, release another studio album and, and just, just keep it going, man. You know, we, uh, we've come this far. We, we love what we do. We love music and it's just, it's how we live. It's, it's what we do. It's, it's in the blood, you know? So it's, um, as long as people are listening, we're gonna, we're gonna keep doing it. Keep releasing music. Excellent. You're touring again with breaking Benjamin. The tour kicks off in a few days in New Hampshire and then rolls through nearly 30 dates. How does it feel to be going back on the road and what can we look for in this new tour? Uh, feels good, man. Uh, you know, we, we sat home for so long, you know, with this pandemic and everything. And, um, while the pandemic was actually, kind of nice in, in some ways and that I had a lot of time at home with my wife. Um, I had a lot of time to fish and cook. I drank a lot of whiskey. 
Um, you and I are on the same page about everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pandemic, it wasn't all bad for me. You know, I know a lot of people had a hard time and it, and it you know, lost loved ones and everything, but for me, it wasn't that bad, you know, uh, but it, it was hard not being able to go and play. And, you know, that, that's, that's really where our main revenue stream comes from is, is playing live because, you know, album sales are kind of dead. Um, so yeah, that, that was, it was a big adjustment, but, um, man, when, when things opened up, we actually did a run last year with, uh, very good friends of ours as well in uh, three doors down. And we did about, uh, two months for them, two, maybe three months. Just, you know, that tour was actually cool. Cause we'd, we'd play weekends and then during the week we'd come home two, three days and then go back out. So I could get a day fishing in and then go back out and play shows. Uh, this breaking Benjamin's going to be more of a, kind of high impact thing um you know play a couple shows a week you know have maybe two days off so there's not gonna be a lot of time to come home so you know being the new dad that that's gonna be hard because i haven't been away from my from my kid for you know extended periods of time but um but my wife's awesome you know she she can handle it but yeah it'll be it'll be kind of good old-fashioned touring man uh, you know hitting it hard you know with sort of minimal sort of time off and then just with our old buddies and breaking Benjamin, I mean, we've known those guys, you know, pretty much as long as we've been in the States and been fans of the music, um, great fans, great friends with Ben, you know, all those years. And um, it's just nice to be able to tour again. And it's nice that the world's opened up and, you know, the kind of paranoia has subsided somewhat. And it's cool, man. I, I feel like as a music fan, it's a good time because all the bands are starting to tour again. And, and as a musician, it's great because people just want to come to shows, you know, they have this hunger and this, you know, it, it was taken away from them for so long. So there's this newfound enthusiasm. So it's cool. I mean, rock shows now, there's new life almost that has been breathed into them. So it's, it's a fun thing for sure. Yeah, I'm dying to see you guys on this tour. I'd love to get to Daytona for welcome to Rockville. Those are tough yeah. tickets to get, but man, what a four day lineup. Um, you got plans for fishing uh, when you're in Daytona? Uh, maybe, maybe if, you know, if, if there's time, I know that a friend of a friend had a, had a boat and I, I'm trying to remember where that was. It was somewhere down in Florida where we are going to have two days off. So I think we might talk him into taking us out doing a little deep sea on one of those days off. So, um, but yeah, I forget exactly where that is, but, but yeah, if we, if we have a day off in, uh, in Daytona, I'd, I'd, I'd like to fish, but I, I don't have the schedule in front of me, so I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm hoping to come over there, and I got to tell you that besides seeing Seether at the Rockville show, I mean there are some just incredible day acts going on at Welcome to Rockville. But you know who I really want to see besides you guys? I want to see the Who, that Mongolian metal band. Yeah. You know, since they released Wolf Totem and woke the yeah. world to that traditional Mongolian instrumentation and heavy heavy metal form, man, I'm yeah. dying to see those guys. They're cool, man. They're cool. We've we've played a couple of festivals with them last year, and I mean, it's it's a cool show. Like, it's so different, and it's so kind of it's just sort of primal, and you know, it's just like warrior mentality, and 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 you know, these warrior chants and. You can almost just imagine like, man, imagine, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, thousand years ago, you know, these Mongolian warriors just coming over the countryside just on their horses and, you know, 
chanting and you know got drums and i mean it must have been a terrifying thing because those dudes were those dudes were gnarly man and they had no they had no chill so so to speak you know there, there was no um what's the word i'm looking for no mercy you know they just decimated their you know their uh victims i guess you could call them but their their rivals or their opponents and just you know took their woman and i mean it was it was brutal but uh you just get the power of that that whole sort of cultural thing it's it's it's, it's, it's cool to see they're, they're definitely worth checking out i really want to see them they they really throw down all right so let yeah. me wrap this up with our wrap-up question and this is the question that we ask all of the guests on the rodcast we know we've already talked about that you've got a tarpon sitting on top of your have to catch list but other yeah. than the tarpon, what's your grail fish? What's that fish that sits atop your angling bucket list? The fish that you just really want to catch? Um, I guess if if tarpon, I've already said tarpon, so we'll we'll put that one aside. Um, I'd love to catch a. There's a lot of fish I want to catch, uh, but if I had to narrow it down to one, um. Maybe a sailfish on fly, you know, tease it up to the boat, you know, put a little streamer in front of it and just let all hell break loose. Um, yeah, I think that would be nice. Yeah, I, I promise we, we never go deep enough to, to you know, get in the kind of water where, um, you know, the the billfish swim and, and, and things like that, and, you know, tuna and stuff like that. So that would be another thing. Like a, yeah. Like a, a bluefin. I think that would just be insane. Um, I'd, I'd also love to catch salmon in Alaska, um, you know, in, in spawning season. Um, you know, my, my dad and I were trying to plan a trip up there. You know, he's been, um, but we just never got around to it. And, um, you know, so hopefully, hopefully we can still do that at some point. You'll get a kick out of this to know that um, I've got both a sailfish tattoo and a salmon tattoo. So uh, I'm, right, I'm right there with you on those fish. So, well, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you've caught, I'm sure you've caught sailies and, and yep. pretty and much everything. Lots of salmon. I spend a lot yeah. of, I used to go to Alaska every summer to fish for salmon, but yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, now, now tell me you had a, a big firearm on your, on your hip. Always. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> I carry a, an Alaska uh, guide gun. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, ran into a ranger one time who um, saw me with the gun. He said, "You know, if I hear that thing to go, hear that thing go off, I want you to have bear spittle on your shoulder." Um, you know, they're, yeah. They're they're pretty adamant <laughs> that you carry, and we always do when we're out, particularly when we're in the backcountry. Absolutely. Right. That's what's been a thing too. Uh, um, I said, "Look, I'm I'm not going up there with, you know, without I don't know, at least uh, I'm." Uh, I've heard a lot of the guys carry 45s out there, you know, like a 45 with, you know, ball ammo and does the job, but I, I'd want a 44 or something. I think um, I have a buddy you know, who carries a 44 with a, uh, with a, a TNT tipped uh, bullet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If a 44 will do the job. You know, if, if I, you know what they say that the most, the most effective firearm is the one you can shoot the most accurately so i guess if you can if you can hit the mark with a 45 and you're a little wily with a 40 you know maybe the 45 is better so well, it's got to be better than just I, some, I bears. Too, won't see, actually. some bear spraying <laughs> bells scary. just aren't going to do it <laughs> they scare me the, those brown bears that's a terrifying animal that just the power of that thing 
I'm yeah, they're big and they're powerful. I think I'm more scared of black bear because uh, brown bear is not there to eat you, and it'll you know it'll it'll you know fight you until it's done fighting you. But a uh, black bear is gonna want to eat you, and so it's not gonna okay. stop. So, but yeah. Yeah, I yeah. got lots of I got lots of salmon bear stories we could tell, but uh, yeah. Dale, I can't thank you enough for being on the Fishing Thanks, Professor man. Show today. I am so stoked to get to a show on this new tour, and I've loved rocking out to Vicennial. For everyone in the Fishing Professor listening crew, I really recommend you get your ears on this new album. Seether fans will appreciate the gathering of these hits together, and Seether newbies will love the energy of this collection. And just keep in mind that everything's going to be fine again one day too late thanks dale i really appreciate it thank you man i appreciate it all right it is time for this week's bourbon break even though I really do hope you're taking your own bourbon breaks several times a day. You know, since we've just wrapped up a great conversation with a powerhouse rock star, let's keep the bourbon break in the musical realm today and stay with our rock star theme and we'll be knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. That's right, we'll be taking a look at Bob Dylan's heaven's door double barrel whiskey. Now, when we started hearing that Bob Dylan was going to be involved with the release of some new whiskeys, I knew I'd have to give him a try. So Dylan released three whiskeys back in 2018 and has been adding to the collection ever since. In this bourbon break, though, I'm just going to talk about Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey, which I managed to get a bottle of soon after it was released. Now, usually when celebrities get involved with promoting a brand of alcohol, there's a lot of hype around the relationship, but not a lot of follow-through in the quality of the drink. I'm thinking here of Clooney's tequila, Kendall Jenner's tequila, Justin Timberlake's tequila, Channing Tatum's vodka, Robert De Niro's vodka, The Rock's tequila, and Dane Cook with a juice box or something. I don't know. And someone remind me why anyone pays attention to Dane Cook in the first place. Anyway, the dozens of other celebrity alcohol partnerships that are out there usually have a lot of hype and not a lot of follow through on the actual spirit. But Dylan, it was rumored, was to have been seriously involved in Heaven's Door. He even registered the trademark way back in 2015. But we also know that he had a team of whiskey experts helping him out along the way, including Mark Bushela, who was one of the guys who founded Angel's Envy. The real Dylan influence, it seems, is the bottle design, each of which feature a picture of an iron gate that Dylan sculpted in his studio, Black Buffalo Ironworks, from objects that he's collected over the years from different farms and scrapyards across America. The second generation of additions to the Heaven's Door line of alcohol feature bottles that have replicas of some of Dylan's paintings, too. Now look, I dig Dylan. He is an icon. He has done amazing stuff throughout his life. The guy won a freaking Nobel Prize. And hell, even the chipmunks covered Mr. Tambourine Man. Okay, I'm sorry. That's terrible. But what you probably also don't know about this recording, though, is that most of the Wrecking Crew are on this recording and a lot of the Chipmunks albums from back in the day, and that is just fucking awesome. 
Bob Dylan seemed to jump into the bourbon world at a moment when the bourbon world was really opening up. And in these first three releases, and here I'm talking about Tennessee straight bourbon, double barrel whiskey, and straight rye whiskey, and he was able to put his feet down in a mid-range whiskey line that appeals to a lot of people, but doesn't have to reach into the upper tier of great whiskeys in order to keep an audience. In fact, I think a buddy of mine who is a fanatic Dylan fan described Dylan's Heaven's Door double barrel whiskey the best. He said that it's a good whiskey for a $30 to $40 bottle of whiskey. It's not a good whiskey for a $50 bottle of whiskey. Heaven's Door double barrel whiskey, by the way, retails for about 50 bucks. That is to say that Heaven's double barrel whiskey is an okay whiskey, not a great whiskey, and certainly not a bad whiskey. It's a tad overpriced for what it is, but you got to figure you're paying out $10 to $15 a bottle for the Dylan name and then $35 or $40 for the whiskey. Maybe that's a bargain. I don't know. Now, you might have noticed that I'm not referring to Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey as a bourbon because it's not. It's a blended whiskey that, according to the Heaven's Door web pages, is comprised of a blend of three different whiskeys, two from Tennessee that are purported to have traditional bourbon mash bills and a third straight rye whiskey. The Heaven's Door pages also explain, and here I'm reading directly from their webpage, quoting, each of these whiskeys is aged independently in both new oak and fresh dump bourbon barrels for at least six years before being married together and aged an additional year in virgin heavy charred American oak barrels. Our proprietary finished barrel specification creates robust flavors of toasted hardwood and a dark amber-hued finished whiskey. Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey is maple charcoal mellowed after distillation, also known as the Lincoln County process, resulting in a smooth finish. Now, the webpage also indicates that Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey is certified kosher, which I will admit and is of itself is an interesting thing to consider, given that as the research of my good friend Janice Fernheimer at the University of Kentucky shows, the deep involvement of us Jews in the evolution of bourbon in America. But that's another discussion for another day. Interestingly, the Heaven's Door webpages never reveal the mash bill for any of the whiskeys in this blend, so we can't really talk much about that, particularly given that Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey is a blend of three mash bills. I know for a lot of whiskey andados out there, not having this information is frustrating. Likewise, we know that Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey is an outsourced whiskey, which means Heaven's Door Spirits has other distillers distill the whiskey that they blend to make double barrel whiskey. They don't really make it themselves. The problem is that Heaven's Door Spirits doesn't identify from where they get their outsourced whiskeys. The lack of information aside, let's talk about the Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey itself. Visually, Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey has a great color, somewhere in the spectrum of a golden caramel blend, more amber than brown though. The nose is dominated by oak, which makes sense given what I just read to you from the Heaven's Door webpages about it being aged independently in both new oak and fresh dump bourbon barrels for at least six years before being married together and aged an additional year in virgin heavy charred American oak barrels. The nose also suggests some spice like cinnamon and a little sweetness of vanilla. The palate is sweeter than the nose suggests. The vanilla hints are still there, but there's also sweetness like honey and butterscotch. The oak still dominates, giving the drink a nice toasty flavor. That oak also leaves a subtle spice and cinnamon in the afterthought of the taste. 
but the woodiness maintains its stronghold throughout the palate experience. As such, the finish moves away from the sweetness to a more mellow flavor of those various oak influences with some hints of nuttiness like almonds. Like I said, there's nothing bad about Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey, but there's also nothing quite unique about it. I think it's a bit overpriced, and maybe that's because of the Dylan name, but if I put it up next to other Double Barrel Whiskeys like Woodford Reserve Double Oak, which sits in about the same price range as Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey, I wouldn't think of them as on par. The Heaven's Door is, and I just can't think of a more articulate, articulate way to describe it, it's just a softer taste and body. So look, Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey is a fine mainstream whiskey, which cracks me up since Dylan spent so much of his life protesting the mainstream. I recommend trying it just to try it, but it's really more like a novelty whiskey, one you keep around and say you've tried it and occasionally share it with your friends just to say you've had Dylan whiskey, but it's not going to be the whiskey you run to to get out when you're running out of whiskey. It's not going to be your daily driver, perhaps because of the cost, and it's not going to be the pour you want to show off. It's just kind of there as a mid-range, okay pour. Nothing off-putting, but nothing enticing. So those are my thoughts on Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey. In fact, I think I could sum up my thoughts by turning turn to Dylan's own words. I have dined with kings, I've been offered wings, and I've never been too impressed. Oh, and as a final note, and as my regular disclaimer, as always, please keep in mind that the Fishing Professor Bourbon Break reviews are not sponsored. The distillers have not sent me samples, nor do they influence my reviews at all. If they did, I think I'd be giving this a better review, don't you? Though I am always open to sponsorship, bribery, and extortion, the bourbons I review are purchased out of pocket, and my reviews are based on the keen sense of bourbon know-how I have developed over many years in many of this country's finest watering holes, drinking establishments, dives, pubs, honky-tonks, and back-alley speakeasies. Speaking of, let me give a quick shout-out to the world-famous Great Alaskan Bush Company in Anchorage, a fine saloon in the tradition of saloons. Here's to all the bush pilots. God, how I need an excuse to get back there. And let's wrap it up with one more citation of Dylan's words that seem so apropos. In this ocean of ours, I'm all the time drinking. As always, if you got comments about this week's bourbon break, feel free to email me at sid at inventivefishing.com. And now back to our regularly scheduled fishing program. All right, so let's get to this week's top 10 list. And in an attempt to stay musical, we'll shift from Dale's bass and Bob's bourbon to some big drums, red drums, that is, redfish. This week, I'm going to count down my favorite topwater lures for redfish. Now, keep in mind that this top 10 focuses on topwater artificials. I've got a bunch of other favorite redfish lures that are really productive and that I'll count down in other top 10 lists, but today we're talking topwater. And let's face it, topwater fishing for reds is something else. Hell, we all get excitement over watching any fish bust a topwater lure. That adrenaline rush of seeing a fish smash a topwater is unlike anything else in fishing. Trout, snook, tarpon, tuna, cobia, bass, walleye, pike, all give us some amazing topwater shows, but there's something really remarkable about a redfish busting a topwater lure. 
Part of that excitement comes from the fact that redfish are designed to eat food from below them, not above them in the water. Just look at those downturned mouths or the way that they wave those tails above the waterline when foraging in the skinny water. And you know those fish evolve to feed downside. So when a redfish turns on a topwater lure, you know they've got some aggressive attention focused on that lure. And man, when a red rises up behind a lure and stalks it, chasing the lure, pushing all that water forward with that big head like a freaking Los Angeles-class submarine bulldozing up out of the water. And you can see the focus in those black eyes just under the surface before that final surge. And kaboom! That fantastic, powerful explosion on the lure. Well, that's just some soul-shattering awesome right there. So yeah, I love some topwater red action, and this top 10 is for what happens when that downturn mouth turns up to pound those surface skidding lures. And as an added note here, keep in mind that when reds are pulling lures from the surface, they tend to prefer a slower retrieved lure. They're looking for opportunity, not mayhem. So these lures are also ones that perform well at slower retrieve speeds that give that dog walking surface pop and bubble generating action without having to be ripped through the water. These are the artificials that have proven effective to me time and time again and will pull a red's attention from the bottom to the top. As a reminder, I don't have any sponsorships and none of these products here are because of payola. These are my personal choices. So to all of my lure manufacturer friends, don't get agitated if your product ain't number one. All right, let's start walking them. Let's start dog walking them back. At number 10, Paul Brown Soft Dog Topwater. This is a great take on a traditional topwater design that we usually see in a hard plastic like Hedden's Classic Zara Spook. But the Paul Brown version is made of a soft, biteable body that combines the topwater action of a traditional design with a bite-enticing soft material. I also like the soft material here because the lure makes less of a splash when it's cast, and you know how skittish redfish can be. Now, coming in at number nine is the Mirror Lure Mirror Mullet. This is a great surface walker that combines, or excuse me, it comes in 13 color options. And like all Mirror Lure products, this is an incredibly well-made and very durable lure. The action on this lure does a great job of mimicking a wounded mullet. And the luminescent insert they use when making this lure gives the Mirror Mullet a lot of flash and visibility. Sitting in the number eight position, I've got Bagley's Rattlin' Finger Mullet. Now, I fell in love with Bagley's Finger Mullet more than 25 years ago, and now the company has upgraded the mullet into an even more effective redfish lure. The old model was made of balsa wood, but the reimagined version as a hard plastic body is so much more durable. There are nine color options available in two sizes, but I recommend looking for them in traditional white body with red head or in the gold body. Oh, and if you want to learn more about the Bagley's Rattlin' Finger Mullet, be sure to check out my review of these lures over at InventiveFishing.com or on the Inventive Fishing YouTube channel. The review's got some interesting stuff about the uh, history of Bagley's lures as well. Okay, at number seven is the Ozuri 3D Inshore series of lures. And here it's hard to pick because there are a couple of topwater lures in the Ozuri 3D Inshore series that are worth talking about. Now, just a couple of years ago, Yozuri reimagined their entire inshore series and put out the 3D inshore series that includes six inshore lures, the top knock pencil, the surface minnow, the inshore minnow, the inshore popper, the inshore pencil, and the inshore twitch bait. 
Now, of these, the top knock pencil, the surface minnow, the inshore popper, and the inshore pencil are all great topwater lures. Of these, though, my favorite is the popper, but they are all really great in their own right. In fact, if you want to see my review of the inshore popper, it too is available on the inventafishing.com and the inventafishing YouTube channel. Now, all of these inshore topwater lures by Uzuri have great balance and really are great for fishing for reds in shallow water. They're all made with the Yozuri's patented 3D prism finish, so they all flash really well. The internal hologram sheet never wears off and keeps on flashing even when the body's all scratched up. They all come in a dozen or more color options so they can be matched to local conditions. Okay, at number six, we've got Bombers Badonkadonk. This is a fan favorite for sure. It's a great casting top water that really is at its best in calm water, but its rattle components add to the attraction in dark choppy water as well. Comes in two sizes, a three and a half inch half ounce version and a four inch three quarter ounce version. And there are nine color variations. You gotta love the Badonka Donk. At number five, I've got a tie between Unfair Lures Dog Walker and their dog slider. Now, first, I have to say that what Paul Van Reenen has been able to build with Unfair Lures is great. I'm a big fan of Paul's and all of his lures. But of all of his topwater lures, it's the dog walker and the dog slider that I find redfish just want to hammer. The dog walker is designed for topwater dog walking, as the name suggests. But unlike other dog walking lures, the Unfair Dog Walker creates a much narrower walk path keeping the walking action in tight to its travel path. I think that kind of compacted action keeps redfish focused and prevents them from having to follow an erratic walk across a larger surface area. The dog walker is available in 20 color variations. I really recommend it. Coming in at number four, I'm going to go with Egret Bates' Zombie Ghost Walker. This is also a great dog walking lure in the spirit of the Zerospook. But what really attracts me to the Ghost Walker are the high and low frequency sound chambers that give the Ghost Walker a great auditory attractant. At number three, I've got Rebel's Jumpin' Minnow. Now, the Rebel Jumpin' Minnow earned its chops and reputation as a striper lure or a blues lure. And just saying that ought to clue you in on the ruggedness of this lure. I mean, hell, if you're pitching a lure that can stand up to multiple blues strikes, then you know this lure's got moxie. It's a really castable lure, and the balanced body makes for an easy walk-the-dog retrieve. It's that action that I find that attracts reds, just like, a, just like it does blues. The body is made from high-impact plastic, so like I said, it's remarkably rugged. It's available in 12 color patterns, but the bone and the chrome have been my go-tos for, for reds up top. All right, in the runner-up spot, my second favorite topwater for redfish is the Head and Saltwater Super Spook and Super Spook Jr., the Super Spook is flat out a classic. The Zara Spook line has been a canonical lure since 1939. The Zara Spook was first developed by the Hedden Company as a wooden lure named the Zaragoza 6500 series. In 1939, the plastic version was introduced, and following the naming of other plastic lures, Hedden added Spook to the name to classify it as a plastic lure. The Zara Spook pretty much invented the walk the dog retrieval strategy for topwater fishing. The Super Spook and the Super Spook Juniors remain one of the best topwater lures out there, and I rely on them in my Redfish topwater arsenal. All right, that brings us to number one. But before the big reveal, let's walk the dog on back and get a recap. At number 10, we had Paul Brown's Soft Dog Topwater. At number nine, Mirror Lure's Mirror Mullet. At eight, Bagley's Rattlin' Finger Mullet. At seven, Yozuri's 3D Inshore series of lures. At six, Bomber's Badonkadonk. 
At five, we got a tie between Unfair Lures Dog Walker and their dog Slider. At four, Egret Bates Zombie Ghost Walker. At three, Rebels Jumpin' Minnow. At two, the Head and Saltwater Spook and Super Spook Jr. And that brings us to my number one. Bum, bada, bum. My number one favorite top water lure for redfish. Could I get a red drum roll, please? The Rapala Skitterwalk. Also a dog walking type lure. I love this lean body design and phenomenal walking action. The large internal rattles give the skitter walk great sound attractants. The great 3D holographic eyes and the 22 color variations are just great. I will say my favorite colors are the bone chartreuse, the gold mullet, the redfish, the trout, and the classic redhead. So that is this week's top 10 list, top water for redfish. And yes, I know you have your disagreements with my list. So feel free to email me, especially if you think there's a top water for redfish I should take a look at. Or if you're a manufacturer and you want me to take a look at your product, shoot me an email and let me know what I need to look at. You can always email me at sid at inventivefishing.com. I get that you probably have your favorites. So if you email me just to argue or just to let me know how dumb you think my choices are, feel free to save your time and just do what each one of these lures wants fish to do. Bite me. As always, if you'd like the Fishing Professor's Top 10 list to be about a particular fishing-related thing you're interested in, just send me an email and I'll see about adding that to my Top 10 list for future Top 10s. Let's get back to the show. Well, my listening crew, that brings us to the end of another harmonious episode. We have rocked and rolled our way through the episode without the need for Dramamine. And now we find ourselves at the end of the song. I want to thank Dale Stewart for taking a break from the bass in order to chat with me in the inshore offshore digital studio. And like I said, Cedar's new album, Vicennial, is fantastic. And all you headbanging anglers out there need to pick up a copy. And be sure to check out Dale and Cedar on the new tour with Breaking Benjamin. Thanks, Dale. Before I sign off, I do have a message for our brothers and sisters out there behind the line. The boat is at the dock. I say again, the boat is at the dock. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the Rodcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We've got a great new episode coming up next week, and I hope you'll give a listen as soon as it drops. And remember that new episodes drop every Wednesday. As always, please be sure to share the Fishing Professor Rodcast with everyone you know. It's not fair to keep all the knowledge to yourself. Spread the wealth, people. There are a ton of ways to access the Rodcast, so you can always listen on your favorite platform. You'll find the Rodcast on our hosting site at thefishingprofessor.podbean.com and on the Podbean app, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Player FM, the Samsung Podcast app, and Podchaser. As always, if you have a comment or a question about anything on this week's show or have recommendations for future top tens, bourbon breaks, interviews, or information about specific products, please feel free to email me at sid at inventifishing.com or leave a reply in any of the comment sections for any of the podcast platforms you use to listen to the Rodcast. Be sure to check out the Inventive Fishing webpages and be sure to follow us on Twitter and friend us on Facebook at Inventive Fishing. So see you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile. Can't you see you're in my way now? 
Don't you know you cramp my style? I'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, this is Sid Dobrin, the fishing professor. Fish on. The Fishing Professor Show is copyrighted by Inventive Fishing, LLC. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the consent from Inventive Fishing, LLC is strictly prohibited. Fish on!